Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. It's been over a week since a devastating earthquake struck Turkey and Syria, and it's increasingly clear that this is a humanitarian catastrophe on a scale that many of us can't imagine. With the rescue phase of operations coming to a close, the challenges facing the Turkish government and its people remain immense. In the meantime, the Turkish government has put a priority on public relations, focusing on the narrative over effective policy. Professor Howard Eisenstadt, a non-resident scholar with the Middle East Institute's Turkey program and an associate professor of history at St. Lawrence University, joins me to argue that in order to address the current crisis effectively, the Turkish government will have to place policy above politics. Howard, great to have you back on The Greek Current. Hi, Thomas. Good to be back. Howard, the scope of this disaster is unimaginable to many of us. What do we know about the situation on the ground in Turkey and Syria today? Well, we're now a weekend, and while there are still some people being rescued, I think hope for further rescues is diminishing by the day. We know that some 40,000 or so are confirmed dead. The actual number is likely to be much higher, and indeed, from past experience, we suspect that we will never know the full scale of, of the tragedy. In the meantime, there are real risks of disease. There are thousands of bodies to bury. The rescue operations are massive. And of course, on the Syrian side of the border, things are even worse because much less international aid is getting in. And the Syrian government, of course, has no interest in supporting folks in areas that it doesn't control. Howard, an earthquake of this magnitude and the destruction that you've described would rightfully rattle most governments. Has the government in Ankara come to terms with the scale of this tragedy? I think they were caught flat-footed in the first 48, 72 hours. It took them a while to realize the scale and the fact that they were unprepared, the fact that they were unwilling to mobilize the full force of the state in those early hours certainly cost lives, as of course the by now well-known story of, of their failure to enforce earthquake proofing in the 20 years before this earthquake. I think that they recognize that there's a real problem. I think that they're serious about trying to fix it. That said, their obsession with centralization, their worries about civil society organizations or other municipalities or stepping in still undermines them, as does the basic lack of of technological expertise within their bureaucracy. You've written recently that, you know, the government in Ankara is prioritizing politics over policy. Can you elaborate on that for us? Well, I think fundamentally, and we saw this in the first sort of angry speech that Erdogan gave right after the earthquake, they're very concerned about a messaging that undermines their own narrative of success. And they're very much looking at upcoming elections, whenever those elections might might occur. So we see targeting of civil society organizations. We see the government and government-friendly press sort of giving this unceasing narrative of miraculous rescues and sort of not doing actual journalism. We see the AKP stamping AKP stickers on aid coming from other people just to sort of highlight their own identity. It's striking, given the tragedy that's occurring, how much the government is simply focused on what's going to look good. Do we have any indication on what the reaction within Turkey and particularly in the areas hit by the earthquake have been to the way that Ankara has handled this? I think it's hard to tell. If one judges by social media, the anger is widespread and palpable. 
And I, I have no doubt that that's very true right now. Polling, of course, is not possible. What we see on social media is necessarily anecdotal. I think that if there were elections held today, Erdogan would lose in a landslide. But the elections won't be held today. And he has months to right the ship to address the needs of people in need. He's going to have a lot of foreign money coming in, which I'm sure he will aim not only at helping survivors, but also helping survivors strategically in ways that reinforce his own electoral base. And so I think the anger is palpable, but I, I'm hesitant to to sort of write President Erdogan's political obituary at the stage. You brought up elections, and Turkey's scheduled to hold them in May. But this has now come into question, given, obviously, the logistical challenges following the earthquake and possible political calculations. What do you see as the most likely way forward here? I don't know. I mean, the elections are currently scheduled for May, and folks friendly to the government have floated the idea of pushing them back. They can be pushed back to their original date in June without any problem at all. Pushing them back beyond June, there's no avenue within the Constitution for doing that, and that would be effectively a a coup. That said, the government has effective control over the courts. It has effective control over the Supreme Electoral Board. And so while it's clearly unconstitutional, that doesn't make it impossible. I'm reluctant to engage in guesswork. Many, Howard, have compared this earthquake to another one in 1999, which saw the then government bungle its response and was a key factor that helped bring Erdogan to power. Would you say that these comparisons are fair? I do, in the sense that we saw corruption and mismanagement fundamentally undermine the rescue efforts in 99, and we've seen same uh, now in 2023. I think that in terms of long-term repercussions, we'll have to wait and see. I think that President Erdogan is acutely aware of that historical experience and will do everything in his power to prevent a similar outcome. You know, and that's that's one of the reasons why I'm hesitant to look too far forward. President Erdogan knows very well the scale of the problem. He knows very well uh, what the historical experience has been, and he's going to do his very best to not repeat history. There's been an incredible display, I would say, of solidarity with Turkey from its neighbors, partners, and its allies in response to this. Do you think that there's more that can be done, especially now as rescue efforts wind down? I think that Turkey will continue to need aid. I would also argue that folks in northern Syria uh, need that international aid even more acutely. I think that in the end, this is a humanitarian issue, not a political one, or at least that's how it should be treated. That said, I know that a lot of people sort of look back to 99 and the Turkish-Greek reset that occurred then and wonder whether there might be echoes of that in 2023. And my suspicion is that any sort of reset between Greece and Turkey, or between Turkey and Armenia for that matter, are going to be short-term. I think that in the end, the strategic differences are significant enough that while, you know, we're going to have a season of good sentiment, that those won't have long-term political repercussions. Howard, it's been great speaking with you again. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. 
In other news, the election of Nikos Estodoulidis as president of Cyprus is a new development in the country's political scene as it was done for the first time without the support of the two major parties, Dizi and Akel. Chrysodoulidis has made it clear that his goal is a broadly acceptable government with 50% women in the cabinet and young people who have not previously served. His main challenges will be his alliances in parliament, reaching an understanding with the parties supporting him given that there are several political disagreements, getting the Cyprus issue back on track, migration, and the economy. Finally, the Hellenic American Leadership Council and the Hellenic Bar Association of Illinois have teamed up in an initiative to send critical relief to Turkey and Syria in the wake of the devastating earthquake that has killed thousands and left hundreds of thousands more homeless. To this end, the two organizations have created a wish list on Amazon for the purchase of critical supplies, including tents, sleeping bags, hand warmers, and other survival items. Please consider donating what you can to help those in need. We've included a link to the relief effort in our show notes. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.